Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Neon, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history behind it. I'm Jem Daduchu, and this time round, I'm going to be answering probably the most common question I get asked about Neon, and at the same time, explore an area that you may not be familiar with. And what I want to point out is when I mentioned the name of this podcast, or indeed when you saw the front of this podcast and thought, hmm, is that a topic for me? Believe me, even if you don't know anything about this, I am going to take you on a really interesting journey. So yes, today I take you to the world of Akira. You've been here for three and a half hours. Now, how many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot? As your leader, I encourage you from time to time, and always in a respectful manner, to question my logic. Now to run a computer check on this tape and the professor. Dodge this. The tracks go off in this direction. Wow, this is a really interesting topic and one of the most influential topics I'm going to be talking about probably on any of the podcasts. So let's take it back a bit to, hang on, why does Neon have a pill next to its name? Are you a property of Big Pharma? Uh, no. Are you... Talking about recreational drugs? Absolutely not. No, it's actually the fact that Dan, the producer, and myself really love the movie Akira. And one of the symbols of Akira is this pill. It's on the back of the main character's jacket. His name's Canada. And I think if you can guess with Akira and Canada, we're clearly not talking about Birmingham. Uh, we are, of course, talking about Japan. And let's get started with a little bit of, of 
phraseology, shall we? There's manga and there's anime. And actually, it was Akira that caused the mangling of these two things. The story of Akira began in a magazine in Japan. And when things are drawn, like a comic book in Japan, that is called manga. Now, if that manga is turned into an animated movie, that's anime. So Akira was a manga first and then became an anime in 1988. Yes, shockingly, we are looking at the 30th anniversary of Akira. Now, Akira was the brainchild of Katsuhiro Otomo. Katsuhiro Otomo started this in the early 1980s, and it was an epic. It's over 2,000 pages long, if you want to sit there and read the whole thing in, in one sitting. So it beats something like War and Peace, for example. But here's the thing. It finished in 1990, so the anime came out before the actual end of the story had happened. The story of Akira is set in the year 2019. Yes, next year Akira is going to happen. Interestingly, next year is also when Running Man's going to happen, and also when Blade Runner's going to happen. 2019, just the year of dystopias, what can I say? So the point is, it's set in, well, if it was set in the 1980s, or written in the 1980s, then yes, it's set in the near future, in Neo-Tokyo, because in Tokyo there had been this horrific explosion, this weird detonation of, of black energy, and sort of 20 years later, Neo-Tokyo's been rebuilt, and it's getting ready for the Olympics that are going to happen in 2020. This is weird. This is one of these little quirks where occasionally science fiction gets it absolutely right, because in the 1980s, nobody knew who was going to be getting the 2020 Olympics. But weirdly, yes, the 2020 Olympics are happening in Tokyo. So, uh, again, I really, really hope that Akira doesn't actually happen, because a lot of people are going to die. Now, on that point, this may be animation, it may be come from, coming from a comic book, but this is not a lot to do with something like Iron Man, for example. And indeed, you have to sort of understand a little bit about the Japanese culture of comics, because, well, manga, as they call them there... To give you an idea, if you were to add up all the world's comic book sales, you've got all the world added together doesn't match the home consumption of comic books in Japan. Now, obviously, with the rise of tablets, the actual printed comic books have reduced, but the desire to consume these on things like iPads or watching more anime series has just grown and grown in Japan. And whereas Japan has always been very good about exporting things like cars or electronics, what it hasn't been particularly good at is spreading its culture around the world. Yes, we've all known about samurai, for example, but it was actually Akira that really started the interest in Japanese stories, Japanese sort of animation, and Japanese way of telling tales. Because Akira, if you haven't seen much or any other anime, Akira's going to be really weird and unusual for you. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because here's the thing. If you're watching a James Bond movie, or a Jason Bourne movie, or a Transformers movie, it doesn't really matter. The, the point of the fact is, you know the hero's going to win. You know there are certain beats that happen in Western stories. But 
Japanese stories come from a different culture and they don't have the same beats and you can be taken really off guard. Now, that's not to say that they don't have their own tropes and cliches. They absolutely do. And after a while, there are only so many flappy haired teenagers, be they men or women, fighting against the system that you can deal with, really. But um, yeah, that, that's kind of the, a Jap big Japanese trope, for example. In the West, we have based a lot of our language on alphabets. The, the first alphabet in the West would have been, well, look, it gets complicated. There's the Etruscan language. Nobody's actually cracked. That's early Italian way before the Romans. Uh, but the first one that we know influenced other people is the Greek alphabet. And you might be going, well, duh, yeah. But here's the important point about that. Alphabets are where you have characters for sounds, you smash a whole bunch of characters together, you get words. And so alphabets tend to have, I don't know, let's say 24 to 35 characters, give or take. And so you can very easily learn all the characters, you smoosh them all together, and even, for example, Cyrillic, which is the Russian alphabet, even though I can't speak Russian because it's based on an alphabet. It doesn't take me very long to work out how to at least pronounce certain words. You know, I understand that that symbol makes a sh sort of noise, for example. Things change in the East. Now, not everywhere in the East. Perhaps one thing you might know, uh, not know, is in Korea, they have an alphabet, like in the West, just a very different alphabet. But if you're talking about China and Japan, they don't have alphabets. They have characters. And so when it comes to characters, that symbol means an entire word, and you have to be taught how that sounds. So how many characters are there? Well, in the Chinese language, there are about 20,000. Now, in terms of common usage, there's probably only 5,000, but there are sometimes it's this symbol means a general who fought in a battle in a period of history, and that's it. So you, somebody has to remember how to actually pronounce that one. It also led to an interesting conversation I had with a, a Chinese friend of mine when I said, well, look, hang on. The thing is, with an alphabet, a dictionary can exist. I may not know that word, but I know it starts with the letter B, for example, and the second letter is E. So I can start going down the dictionary and listings and find out, oh, A, that's just want to double check how you pronounce that, and B, Brilliant. Okay, I now know what that word actually means. But how do you do that with a character where you don't understand? They're not in any order. There is no alphabetical order with characters. So how does a Chinese dictionary work? Same thing, obviously, with a Japanese one. I'll come on to Japanese in a moment. Um, and he said, oh, he goes, that's a really interesting question. He goes, it's actually down to shapes. So basically, all the characters who have like boxes at the bottom of the shape they're all together. And then you get further explanations in, in simple Mandarin about, you know, what, what that particular phrase means. It's like, oh, OK, thank you very much for that. However, it's often been said that Japanese is the hardest language to learn in the world because not only do they have all the Chinese characters, they have their own individual Japanese characters and they actually have three different alphabets. So, for example, there's an entire alphabet for foreign words. So, you know, you know, at least the origins of that word can't possibly be Japanese because you're using a different character system. So because of that, Japan and China are swimming in these little pictograms, these little characters. So so whereas in the West, 
we've always liked books because alphabets are very easy to turn into words and then in, into books. In the East, because these are already little pictures, suddenly creating comic books don't have the same, I'm going to say, smirky, sneery, uh, that's substandard literature. To be clear, in somewhere like Japan, there are comic books, as we would call them in the West, there are comic books for pretty much everything. There is romantic literature in comic book form. There is naughty stuff in comic book form. There are even stock market information in comic book form. Pretty much anything, cookery books, etc. All of these are done as mangas. And, and therefore, it's not seen as anything lower class. Oh, you can barely read, read a comic book. And, and if you think about it, pretty much up until the last maybe 10 years in the West, if you turn around and said, I read comic books, there'd probably there'd be a certain amount of sneering, references to nerds or geeks or something like that. And it's what's nice to have seen in the last 10 years, because I was, I was one of those people. Um, what's nice to have seen in the last sort of 10, 15 years is with the rise of the internet, you don't do that by having the biggest muscles. You have that by having the biggest brain. And so somebody like Mark Zuckerberg, who presumably had sand kicked in his face on the beach when he was 12 years old, uh, you know, is now a billionaire. And it's the same thing with the comic books. There can be no doubt. It's you know this is the ten year anniversary of the Dark Knight, which was kind of well certainly wasn't the first comic book movie, but it was the first one which was taken really seriously, and it was the first one that, that grossed over a billion dollars. And ten years on, it still absolutely stands the test of time. But that happened. That came out the same year as Iron Man, which was the first of the Marvel Studios one. And then in 2018, you've got Infinity Wars coming out just ten years later, which has characters from all over the Marvel Universe merging together with no explanation, assuming that you've read, you know, read stuff or seen the other movies. And that grossed over $2 billion. So that is not a niche anymore. That is mainstream. The, the comic book geek nerd culture has become mainstream, whether you like it or not. But it's always been that way in Japan. And part of that, as I've kind of already alluded to, is that Japanese stuff can be, you know, you might sit there and go, oh, this is going to be a hero and it's going to be sort of nice and safe. And it's going to be a bit like Iron Man, for example. And then suddenly, wow, somebody's had their head cut off and there's blood all over the page. Somebody's drawn in all the blood. Good heavens, that's gruesome. And indeed, one of the first things about Akira people get shocked about, and I've actually seen some re recent reviews on IMDb about this, is like, well, this is just a bloodbath. And it's like, look, mate, it's rated 15 in England for a reason. I presume it's rated R in America. Yeah, do you know, do you know what? It's not the same thing as Teen Titans Go or, you know, Princess Pony fairy tale stories on Cartoon Network. This is an adult piece of dystopian sci-fi that happens to be animated, okay? And to be clear, Akira was not the first bit of Japanese animation that had made it to the West. For example, when I was really little, there was a TV series called Battle of the Planets. What I didn't realise was, is that... Now, if you're my age, you'll go, oh, yeah, I remember that. If you don't, then you've got no idea what I'm talking about. The vast majority of, this, of the program was actually about these superheroes in sci-fi setting who flew this amazing spaceship and was constantly fighting Zoltan, uh, who, who stood there in thigh-high leather boots, had long flowing blonde hair, wore a mask and pink lipstick. And yet, I remember in the playground, we were all shocked when they finally tore the mask off and discovered oh, Zoltan was a woman. 
well, yeah, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so uh, let, let's move on. But the interesting thing about Battle of the Planets is pretty much the beginning of the episode and the end of the episode were done by this little robot who sort of explained what happens next as it were and it's like as a kid I just accepted it but later on it's like well hang on that's actually a different animation style and why is it wrapping up the story why don't we see the end of the story and the answer was because the actual Japanese animation that they used was a bit more adult there was more violence in it so they took all the violence out and they realized we have two three minutes spare in this episode so we need to actually animate around that and that's not the only one that's done that a lot of Japanese animation has got been brutally mishmashed and chopped around to be made sort of packageable in the west another example didn't make it in the uk i saw it over a summer in america and loved it was a tv series called robotech which is as, as japanese as you could think because you again you're talking about teenagers uh, and this time they're in mech suits what's a mech big giant robot come on pacific rim okay transformers only they've got human beings in them and it's a big war going on now the reality was that was two different tv series again smooshed together to create something more palatable more understandable to a western audience so if you like what akira is is the first time that japan's saying we're not compromising we're not adapting this is what we like and this is what we what we do in in the east and akira it's a real shame that the oscars didn't have best animated movie category because we've had another great japanese movie spirited away that won that but in 1988/89 akira would have won Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To give you an idea of the artistry that went behind this movie... Um, this is all cell animated. Now, for the record, I love a good computer animated movie. Something like 
How to Train Your Dragon 2, amazing animation, a really good film, if the mum acts a bit weird, but that's another story. And something like WALL-E, for example, these are beautifully animated, computer animated movies that absolutely work and I absolutely adore them. However, there is something special about cell animation. Have a look at something like The Jungle Book or Snow White or, in this case, Akira. Now, Akira uses 327 different colours in its palette. Why so many? Because at the time, that was a record in animation. Why so many? Because a lot of it's set at night time, which is a time that's notoriously difficult to to animate you need lots of different browns and dark greens which aren't readily available and apparently they had to create 50 new colors just to make this movie work so pause for that for a moment you know that's the real technical artistry going on behind the scenes there's a scene where canada and his biker gang are walking down the street and they're sort of like well, you know, as a group of people they kind of overlap each other but i've seen in the making of they actually animated each individual person knowing full well that nobody'd actually see perhaps that left leg moving but they wanted to make everybody look real and you know take the fact that actually you won't see all the animation in this film that's how good it is, okay? And the other thing that, this is standard in the West, but actually this was quite uh, quite unique in the East. It wasn't the only first one, but it was one of the first, where they actually recorded all the sound first, all the actors actually recording their voices, like I'm doing now, for example, and then animating around it. The, the cheaper way to do it is to just animate, have the lips flapping, and then people sort of go, oh no, I'm, I'm getting out of here, and you know, and just doing it over it. And you know, there is lots of cheap Japanese animation. We won't go into that. Akira really is the gold standard. And what it did is people who went to see it, and it was pretty niche. I remember with me, I had to find a place, I had to find a cinema and I could not find it because it was on Horse Guards Parade, very near Buckingham Palace. And I kept walking around going, well, there's no multiplex or cineplex around here. And in the end, it's like, oh, that side door that's open. And I went in, it's like, wow, okay, fair enough. Now, here's the thing where I'm going to annoy anime fans because there are two ways to watch anime. You can watch it with the original soundtrack with subtitles or you can hear the dub now obviously if you hear the original soundtrack you can see how well the lips are syncing to the words that are coming out of their mouths but my issue with that is it's animation i should be enjoying the screen and yet what i'm doing is spending a lot of time reading the bottom quarter of the screen so personally i would like look there are some terrible dubs out there but i think something like akira has been very well dubbed and i would rather listen to the dub than the subtitled version and the great thing is, on the DVD, you get a choice of either, so knock yourselves out on that one. The basic setup of the movie is this. As I said, there's been this huge destructive event in Tokyo, then about sort of 20 odd years later, you've got Neo Tokyo preparing for the Olympics, and there's unease on the streets, again, good dystopian sort of setup. And Canada and his biker gang, they're, you know, they're a bunch of retrobates. They they sort of like live in an orphanage. They, um, Canada's motorbike is just the coolest motorbike you're ever going to see. Please do a Google image search for it. And also you'll then see on the back of his jacket, the big pill image that we have here at Neon 2. And there's the sort of famous shot of him sort of skidding along sideways. Great, great shot with sort of Neo Tokyo in the background. So... 
they're tearaways, they're outcasts, they're, they're bad boys, as it were. And his best mate is Tetsuo, who's a little bit weaker and very much looks up to Canada. And he's just a little bit unlucky and a little bit of a whiner. He's kind of the runt of the litter. And they have a big fight against uh, another biker gang called the Clowns. And the police are after them. And the military are on the streets as well. And in the background, you've got the military kind of doing some kind of weird experiments. And the trigger to all this is there's this sort of really wizened old little kid with a number on his hand. And he sort of gets in the middle of this biker fight between the clowns and, and Canada's gang as well. And there's big explosions. And he appears to be special. He has special powers. And so cutting a long story short, that is not Akira. And Tetsuo turns out to be psychically is uh, sort of psychically powerful as well and he setsuo powers grow bigger and bigger and bigger and he finds out that what started all this was akira and that he needs to go into this vault which akira is kept at virtually at, at very near absolute zero you know zero kelvins at the point at which you can't get a colder temperature than that and we can get close we can't get to absolute zero that's kind of like reaching the speed of 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 light it's kind of impossible but anyway now here's the here's the thing uh what, what basically happens is that's the the setup of the movie and they eventually break into the vault which has akira in it and then there's a sort of big showdown between Canada and Tetsuo in the uh, Tokyo Olympic Stadium, which le leads to this huge fight and this very, very weird ending. Now, in the manga, that's about the first, let's say, third, because after that, you've then got, well, what happens in Neo-Tokyo after this destructive fight between Canada and Tetsuo and this sort of things are being blasted to pieces and you've got you know you've got all these different factions you've got the ones who are backing Akira and the ones who are backing the military and the ones who are backing Canada and you've got all these sort of different groups and it's sort of almost like Lord of the Flies slash Lord of the Rings it is truly epic the animation and indeed the drawing the art in the manga are just breathtaking but again it is very adult please do not show it to your kids there is uh, oh, there's some naughty stuff and very violent stuff and here's the thing now now i'm getting into the the history stuff okay now clearly a japanese city wiped out in a sudden dramatic traumatic event is something that's built into the DNA of Japan. Japan is the only country that has faced nuclear bombing. We all are aware of it today, but Japan has experienced it. Uh, this is, of course, in 1945, uh, to sort of end World War II. You know, on August 6th, they hit Hiroshima, and on August 9th, they hit Nagasaki. Uh, this is the American Air Force. Now, this is one of the most hotly contested events in in world history. You get a lot of people turning around and going, well, I wouldn't do that. It's wrong. To which I say, OK, how would you end World War II? Oh, we, we'd talk to the Japanese. The Japanese have never surrendered ever in their history. They've only ever faced serious invasion once before in their history. And that was by the Mongols about... You know, give or take, about 700 years earlier, okay? Japan, a little bit like Britain, isn't used to being invaded and occupied. And there was no sign that Japan was in on the brink of surrendering on August 6th. 
The other thing is, and people turn around and say, well, you know, this is terrible and awful. And look, it is. You know, the, the Americans deliberately didn't bomb Nagasaki and Hiroshima because they wanted to see how damaging and powerful is is a nuclear bomb. The, you know, the, the, the population of those cities were used as test animals terminally to kill them. However, what's in, you know, people say, oh, look at the raw destruction. True, but there was a three-day gap between the two bombings. Japan had three days to say, wow, that's a huge bomb. We need to surrender. And when people turn around and say, oh, well, it would have been hard to get there. It would have taken less than three days and things like phone lines were still available. Maybe not in the city, but somebody could have turned up, had a look at it and gone, oh my God, and phoned back to base and went and turned around and said, we need to surrender before they drop more of these on us. But actually, we have some of the transcripts between some of the Japanese generals. And one of them even said, it's not that powerful. So they hit them again. And then we got a surrender. So, look, you know, should you drop nuclear bombs? It's, it is the ultimate moral question. And, you know, the simple answer is no, no, you shouldn't. Um, but it was these events that horrified the world and made people realize that, oh, my God, we've finally gone beyond our own moral capabilities. We've finally created a weapon so terrible that we don't know how to control it. And it scared the world. If, you know, if we hadn't have dropped bombs in World War II, it's pretty easy to say that they would have dropped during the Cold War because nobody had ever seen their true devastating power on a city. But it always, always had to be in the back of the mind of, of all the leaders post-1945. And for those who say, shouldn't have happened, you should try to have come up with another option. Well, the, the Americans had ready to go the invasion of mainland Japan. It was called Operation Olympic. And the, the simple fact is we're, we're down to numbers now. Yeah, you, you, We can now see what the Americans had ready to go. And we can see what they thought the Japanese had. And they grossly misunderestimated the amount of kamikaze pilots ready to smash into American ships. And the fact of the matter is, the simple mathematics is more people would have died with an American invasion of mainland Japan than would have died, than did die in the nuclear bombings. That is horrible to say. Death is death. And what I'm doing is stacking up more death against less death. Maybe we should have no death. But don't forget, America didn't start World War II. They were sneak attacked by the Japanese at Pearl Harbor. And when people say, oh, well, you know, the... The Americans sort of cut off all the oil to Japan. Okay, fine, but that doesn't result in a in an in an attack that kills more than two thousand people uh, from a country which you don't even declare war with uh, at America. You know, the it's the Japanese started it, the Americans finished it, and yes, please have a debate. If you think everything you just said is completely wrong, and I, you know, that's a horrible thing to say, Jim, and I just would never have dropped the bomb. Fine, good for you. Tell me your argument. How would you have ended World War II with less death? The other thing worth pointing out is that the American firebombing of Tokyo killed more people than either of the nuclear bombs. Uh, so, you know, de again, death is death. And what that was is a whole bunch of incendiary devices rather than just one big bomb. Uh, but the other plan that, J that America had to try and beat Japan into submission because Japan really wasn't getting it. You know, don't forget, um, Germany had already surrendered. They'd be, you know, they continued to fight on for three, four, five months later. The other thing is that they were going to start doing is sort of annihilating all the arable land and all the road networks and train networks to basically starve the population into submission, which, again, it's not hard to come up with a number where that would have killed more people than the two nuclear bombs. But the point is, Japan, understandably, 
is very sensitive about all this stuff. They they know what this suffering is. They've seen the radiation burns on children. They have seen there are actual sort of scarred, singed silhouettes of human beings on on walls that exist in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Yeah, the, the there is a, it is the absolute worst that human beings can be. World War Two was the most destructive war in human history in terms of life, in terms of loss of of sort of land and cities and things like that. It was it was just horrible in every possible way. So it's understandable that if you're going to use that as a framing point for Akira, then that fear is going to sit in the hearts of. of pretty much every Japanese person who watches it, don't forget, 1988, there are people just coming up to retirement who fought in World War II. There would have been people who, you know, lived through those bombings. Indeed, there's one man, you could argue he's either the luckiest or unluckiest man in history. He was in both cities when the atomic bombs dropped. Nobody has been nuked twice, and he lived to tell the tale. Just remarkable. Anyway, but the other thing that happens in Akira is, and this is why I'm going to get weird, is the big huge fight at the end where Canada is fighting Tetsuo. Tetsuo, uh, courtesy of an orbital laser, has had his arm blown off. And so he, through his psychic powers, he grow, he basically gets all this metal and creates a sort of cyborg arm. He turns the stadium into kind of his throne room and this is his center of power. But his power is so great he can't control it in his body. And there's this wonderful scene where he's sitting there in this sort of little stone throne. And you can see all the cybernetic stuff sort of growing and leaking into the stone. And he sort of throws his cape over it and he's sort of like shaking with the power. And then suddenly his his body starts bursting and growing and he turns into the huge, weird cyborg baby thing in the, in the middle of the stadium and Canada's blowing it to pieces with lasers. It's gross and disgusting. And of course, there's tentacles and ugh, it's it's all horrible. Um, so I've heard an interesting reading on that, apart from the whole sort of body horror thing, which David Cronenberg came up with first. But the whole body horror thing is huge in Japanese uh, sort of animation and mangas as well. Indeed, there's a very low budget movie, two low, low budget movies called Tetsuo Body Hammer, which is about, I mean, maybe it's the same name for, this, for the reason that they're influenced by Akira, but it's about this man who slowly becomes a kind of cyborg and it's sort of body horror. It's all in black and white. It's very low budget and creepy as hell. Um, so yes, I, I do watch a fair bit of Japanese stuff. Anyway, the the point is that you know, as he grows more powerful, he distorts from his original form. And there was an interesting comment about, well, that's the other fear that Japan has. Japan is staggeringly traditional and has been throughout centuries, throughout the entire period of the Tokugawa shogunate, which, which lasted, you know, about 250 years. They even cut the, deliberately cut themselves off from the rest of the world because they wanted to be remain sort of pure and Japanese-y, basically. And therefore, after World War II, you've got the very first occupation of Japan by American forces. And uh, Japan starts improving its its automation and it you know it, Japan was really poor and really on its knees and ironically it was another war that kind of brought it into the fore which was the Korean War which happened 
1950s, early 1950s. And because Japan was the kind of closest base to Korea that America could use to fight the war, they pumped a huge amount of money and development and all the troops were sort of assembled in Japan, a safe platform to then launch into Korea. Ironically, that's what the Japanese have been doing to Korea for centuries. Um, but anyway, uh, so, uh, so people saw huge changes in Japan. You know, the, the, the whole family unit was dissolving a little bit. You've now got people living in like, you know, two bedroom, not two bedroom, two room apartments in places like Tokyo, which apparently has the most expensive real estate in the whole world. Uh, you know, you've got technology leading to sort of families sort of splitting and separating. You've got the bullet train and so on and so forth. So Japanese culture, which had really fossilized for centuries, was changing faster than it ever had in, in its throughout its history from the 1940s to the 1980s. You know, 1980s Japan was kind of unrecognizable to, let's say, 1930s Japan. And... That was scary for the people who lived through it. Some of those animators were probably older men who were thinking, well, you know, I, I, uh, I remember the good old days, as it were. So, yes, yeah, so Akira, in many ways, shows you the traumas and the fears of Japanese society in the 20th century, wrapped up in this dystopian, beautifully animated, very gory, animation. This has finally explained why Neon has that little pill next to its uh, next to its name. There you go. Now you can tell people about that. Hopefully this has inspired you to look at Akira. But the last thing I wanted to say is how influential it is because Akira opened the floodgates to other Japanese things, which, you know, some of them were created before Akira, but now there was an appetite for them, like Fists of the Northern Star, that sort of came out very quickly afterwards. But then you got something like Ghost in the Shell, which, yes, was moved into, turned into a Scarlett Johansson movie, but also was hugely influential on something like The Matrix. But this whole sort of dystopia, and, it, you know, if you were to watch Akira, you're going to go, wow, those backgrounds, the sort of the military installations, that reminds me of something like Metal Gear Solid, the video game, or a bit like Resident Evil Secret Laboratories. Uh, so, you know, video games have been influenced by, by it. The artwork and design has influenced loads of movies and other animations as well, not only in the East, but also in the West. So without Akira... Whatever you would be reading and watching now would be different. It's as simple as that. It was hugely influential in terms of its look, style, tone. So that's Akira. That's its influence. That's the hidden message behind it all. I hope I've sold it to you, as it were. Please check it out. And as always, if you like this, please share it. Please review it. Please spread the neon word. Go to patreon.com forward slash neon podcast. Perhaps uh, support us financially or say hi on Twitter on Neon Podcast or Jim Daduchu. We will talk back. I promise you that. Thank you for listening. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. 
Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.